Welcome to Theology in the Dirt, where we try to practice our theology at home and the public square of our city and our world. Your hosts are Keith Thompson and Mitchell Jolly. Theology in the Dirt is produced by Chris Hayes. All right, hey, good morning. Thank you for listening. Appreciate you guys watching either on the blog or listening to the podcast. And we hope to have that podcast up in Apple here soon. And uh, that's going to be real exciting. So this is Theology in the Dirt. And today we're going to be coming at some questions, some ideas presented by one of our listeners. They hit us up uh, with something very interesting and felt like it was worth following up on. And so once again, uh, Keith Thompson, uh, and he's co-host of Theology in the Dirt. And Justin Owens, a pastor at Three Rivers Church, because he was in on our last discussion, we wanted to bring him into this one as well when we were talking about filtering the information that's coming at us and how we approach conversation of politics and what politics is and is not. And so this question was basically in a, inside our context, the United States government that is set up to work on compromise. How do we as particularly Christians living inside that context live inside of that? How do we incorporate compromise? Can we incorporate compromise? And how do we do that best? So how do we basically compromise and work to the good of our society as Christians when there are some things that we might not need to compromise on? So Keith, why don't you kick us off with some of your thoughts there? Yeah, so um, yeah, I, I definitely can appreciate what the, the listener was commenting on. We, we have to compromise. There's, there's no way that we get everything we want. Um, in any area of life, certainly not in the area of politics, when we're dealing with so many different people with so many different backgrounds. And, you know, America, we're sort of a melting pot. So we do, even from the earliest days, we had folks coming from all over the world here with different ideas. But I think um, addressing this, this question, I think it'd be wise to remember that there were, you know, back in the late 1700s, there, Americans, and, and as a, our country was forming, there were um, what I guess philosophers would call basic beliefs. There were a lot of basic beliefs that were in common. And so even, even guys that may have been deists or even secularists, they, they, they still had basic beliefs that so many basic beliefs that they built their worldview on were very common. So their compromises were, I feel like their compromises would have been smaller. They would have felt like they were huge back in those days. I'm sure they fought pretty tenaciously about various things, but um they were compromising about things that for me as a believer in a Christian worldview were, were just smaller issues. Whereas today we're, we're debating and having to sort of give ground in areas or being asked to give ground in areas that are fundamental to the way we view life and how life is supposed to work and mm. what is going to lead uh, number one to um, right standing before God and then right standing with one another in our, in our policies. So, um, we, we do have to compromise, but we have to be wise about what we're going to compromise on. And it's, it's like um, in, in our churches and in theology, we have to do, Albert Moeller calls it um, theological triage, and he breaks this thing down into three areas, mm-hmm. um, first order, second order, and third order things. We need to know what those first order things are, that if you don't believe those, you're not a believer. I think we have to do the same thing in the political realm, where we have to do a bit of a political or societal triage and go, okay, you look at the, you look at the, um, the uh, like the, the issues that we're thinking through when it comes to an election, whether it's local or national, and we have to do the triage and say, well, which of these are non? I can't compromise on these issues, and they'll be different. They'll be different for a lot of believers, but 
I think that's how you start that process. And yeah, we do have to compromise. The, the, you know, the huge question is which ones can we compromise on? Right, man, that's good stuff. I want to circle back to something uh, uh, you were talking about, Justin, I want you to comment on that, but uh, in regard to the worldviews that were compromising when they were more similar things, I want to come back to that in just a second. So Justin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was going to bring up the Albert Muller theological triage as well, because I think that's the only way we really can figure out where we want to compromise. We have to have deep set beliefs on things that are not negotiable. Um, there are things that we won't compromise on. Um, and I think that lets us filter through even further. I can give a little here. I can give a little here. This is a first tier priority. This is just a personal preference and really thinking through even how those convictions play out for the good of society. So even if it's a high conviction that I have, but it's not going to impact society, that's going to dictate where it might fall on where I would compromise. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Keith, you mentioned, particularly inside our context of American government, how compromise was necessary for legislation. This was kind of the, the context of the question, but these guys were operating sim on a similar worldview, basically. Now, in such a globalized society in which worldviews are all over the map, what, what maybe is our basis for compromise um, for the good of society as a whole when we're dealing with people perhaps that are, I'm talking diametrically opposed to everything. When I say opposed, I don't mean that to sound as adversarial as, I, as it sounds, but their, their framework of thinking about God and man and the world is opposite. How do we, how do we approach that? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a really wide spe spectrum, Mitch, and I'm, I'm probably on the more conservative end as a as a believer and when it comes to engaging in politics like what I'm willing to give up what I'm not willing to give up what I believe is going to be the answer uh, to man's problem um, I think we should personally and I, I there's matter of, there's there's definitely differences in matters of conscience on this but for me when I, when I come into the political arena I see I see people who are uh, born again and I see people who are lost. I see people who are in right standing before God and people who are in um, a situation of um, they're estranged from God. And that's issue number one for me. And I don't think that the political process is going to be able to bring human flourishing by itself. I think it's human flourishing is a hard issue. So the greatest need of all human beings isn't good government. The greatest need of all human beings is to be in right standing before God and have a regenerated heart, right? Because it's through that heart that we choose to do good. We can't have a government that's so coercive right. that human beings are just going to act right because of that government. So I believe that what people need, and, and um, so in, in the process of us as believers engaging in the public sphere, yeah. I think we need to state our case early on that, look, I, I'm not going to discriminate against anybody because they're not a Christian. But you need to know that I believe that ultimate human flourishing begins with, its foundation begins with acknowledging God and acknowledging our separation from him and, and the need for a new heart. Then we can talk about, well, how, how will that flesh itself out in policy and that kind of thing? So, um, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, mean, I don't know if that's headed where you're headed. No, that's good. That, 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 I think that's, that's something we have to talk about. As Christians, we believe flourishing is going to happen from from the framework of 
what God says is right and wrong, right? And so, uh, Justin, speak to that, and I want to come. I want to come back to that and, and hit that just a second. And, and where I'm coming from um, is thinking in terms of let's say we're we're working with Hindus. Mm-hmm. Say we're in India and we've got Buddhist and Hindu population, and we're trying to work together for good. And we know that's not out of the realm of ordinary because we actually work there and we have friends right. there, and we work with them the basis of the image of God in them and and how can I work at that level for their good while highlighting the values that I have in Christ that they don't possess. It's kind of where I'm, I'm thinking a little bit. And Justin, what do you, what do you think there? Uh, Yeah, I think kind of like you're saying, use the example of someone with a Hinduistic or Buddhist worldview versus a Christian worldview. You're going to have very different ideas on why someone's in the state they're in to begin with. If your whole worldview is built around reincarnation as um, based on your previous life's good and bad, then you don't have a motivation to help those in need as much as you do. Say if you're a, a believer who views everyone made in the image of God. Right. And like Keith said, if, if we approach it from a born again believer, not born again believer, your greatest need is to know the good news about Jesus Christ. And you're made in the image of God, so you have dignity and value and worth. That leads us to different things than someone with an alternative worldview. Hmm. And that's going to dictate the way we think and the way we approach issues, the policies that we support and don't support, and even the language that we use within those policies um, to not demonize people. um, No, that's good. That's good. I, I think this this creates uh, the the idea of a theological triage uh, triage is is important. And put you guys on the spot. Um, what's a first order issue that comes to mind um, when you talk about doing theological triage in our context? What's a first order issue for us in regard to politics or in yeah. regard to- Let's just say in regard to life right now, what's a first order issue as Christians that we have to work inside the American government? That's where we live. What's the first order issue for us? Go ahead, Justin. Uh, for me, <laughs> it, it, for, for me, one of no the pressure, Justin, would be the, the value and dignity of all human life. Okay. So a full pro-life ethic from womb to the tomb, so to speak. And that dictating, you know, humans made in the image of God, everyone has value and worth and dignity because that influences what we think about uh, refugees and immigration, um, abortion, uh, health care, any number of issues, special needs. I mean, that that covers a wide spectrum of things. But I think that for me, that has to be at or near the top. Yeah, I would I would agree. So I would, um, I would consider religious freedom a, a huge issue for us. Um, and because it's so linked closely nowadays to the Supreme Court, um, how, and this is not a, this is, again, and I think this is, a good, this is a, a good time to bring this up. This isn't a political issue. I don't even know if this is a right or a left issue, but it's, it's how you, a person reads a text. So how it is that we are, how right. Supreme Court, um, justice believes that you're supposed to read the text of the constitution is it living right or is it text with an authorial intent and those guys had an intent that's still standing today right so that's that's important to me um, because i think our religious freedom is linked so much to those supreme court decisions 
Right. So um, that's a big issue. Also, uh, you know, sexual ethic and gender identity issues are really big for us. I believe they have right. um, big implications about how our society works functionally and how things were going to end up at the end of the day. Right. There are both theological and sociological issues that are associated with that. Right. But um, that, that's a big issue for me. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you guys. I think those are definitely first order issues. If we're doing theological triage, those are things that, you know, we're talking about theology in the dirt, right? And as Christians, we believe these things. They're high value for us because the Bible is clear on them. And so we got to get down and wrestle in them. So let's say we're outnumbered, we're outvoted, and we're in the minority. Do we take our ball and go home? Or what do we do to continue to put forward what we believe is ultimate human flourishing? I don't think we take our ball up and go home. I think we have to be more intentional to not retreat, but we have to make our case well. We have to be well-spoken. We have to have deep convictions about what we believe and why. And I think sometimes when we're in the minority, it forces us to really evaluate why I believe what I believe. Um, and if we can't articulate that well, then no one's going to listen to us, especially a world that's already skeptical or opposed. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, and it's got to, it's, we, you know, we talked about this last week, but it's got to, we, we have to be noted as people who are um, authentic, that we are, um, we love those that we're discussing this with, uh, the people we agree with and the people we don't agree with. So we've got to really be seen as folks that are genuine, um, have genuine concern for others. Right. We don't have an ax to grind on our own behalf. Right. And so we, we have to build a case for the fact that, look, this position is a position that I hold because I believe it's best for us as human beings. Right. You don't have to agree with me, but I, I have this deep-seated conviction yeah. that if we take the right turn here instead of the left or the left turn instead of the right, it's going to lead to disaster. Um, not, and I'm not saying that because I, I disagree with you, that I'm hating on you or anything like that. It's because I can't help, you know, a guy has only got his, his opinion, right? Or her opinion. Right. And so we have to, we have to stick with our guns. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, um, we, we can bring our convictions, but we also, I think, should do the hard work to bring sociological data that would support our, what we're having to say. You know, if, if, I, if I can't find one study that supports that this leads to human flourishing or completely extra biblical, right. it, that's not the authority. The Bible right. is the authority. But because God's truth is, is all, tr all truth is God's truth, we should be able to show that this is going to, this leads toward disaster, this right. leads toward human flourishing. So even if you completely reject my basic belief, right, at least hear me out on, on what it is that I'm saying because, because it actually functionally works. Yeah, that's good. I think it's important to state here that for us as Christians, we're talking about living inside the American context and we have a constitution that dictates, you know, how we function, but as Christians, that's not our highest authority. God, the Bible, we believe, is the standard. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, noun, not adjective, meaning the very essence of God's word is true. And therefore, for us as Christians, this almost sounds uh, uh, like get us in trouble, but it supersedes the Constitution for us. It, yeah. it is not subservient. It doesn't serve the Constitution. The Constitution serves God's Word. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. So that's where we bend the knee, right? Yeah. And some of those, some of those basic beliefs that we were talking about early on, I mean, books have been written about, you know, were the founders Christian? Were they not Christian? Were they deists? What were they? But they definitely believed in God and they believed in these inalienable rights, they, these rights that are just there. Right. Nobody's going to argue about these. Like everybody agrees those rights are there. Right. Right. There are things that's completely shaky ground these days. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you don't believe in God, nothing's inalienable. Yeah. Um, because then at that point, it's up to whoever has the most power or the loudest voice or whoever controls the narrative that determines yeah. who has what right and what those rights are. Right. And, you know, Mitch, you mentioned, you and I had this conversation a while back about the, the nature of religious freedom. Like, what, what is religious freedom? Well, it, it, seems to, it seems to me, and maybe this is something for later, but I want to throw it out there. Yeah. The notion of religious freedom is always contingent on what the masses or what the majority feels is safe, right? Mm, so right. It, the minute that, that, that um, a, a person has a religious conviction that they ought to meet on Sunday, regardless of a pandemic, the minute that the populace goes, this is no longer safe, right. that religious freedom is gone. Right. And rightly so. Like, I'm not saying that that, guy, that, that that church should have met. I'm just saying that, listen, our religious free, we're only free to do what the people around us right. feel is safe. And so the minute that my view right. becomes regarded as destructive, maybe even filled with hate, yeah. our religious freedom is, yeah. it, it's gone. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. so, Justin, what do you think? You have some thought there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just reinforces the notion to have um, well thought out convictions about why I believe what I believe. It can't just be, use the example of a church that met during a pandemic. It can't just be, we've always met. And right. the Bible says together, uh, there has to be some well thought out nuance there of how we gather, why we gather, yeah. Yeah. what it really means to gather as the church. Um, yeah. Well, there's really no such thing as unfettered freedom. That That's anarchy, right? And so, I mean, what my religious freedom can't extend to child sacrifice, right? Because that, clearly, biblically, that breaks a biblical command, right? And so, but if the population says, no, that's what we believe, if you go back to, uh, what do you say, the Aztec um, and, and empires in which child and human sacrifice was the norm, then the society allows for human sacrifice and you have religious freedom to operate inside that. And if you don't, you're crazy. Right. And so, yeah, this, this idea of, of what, what is free, who is free to do what is a big issue for us and how we define the boundaries of what that freedom is. Well, it really is. Cause it also dictates when there is a line cross for us that says, I've got to operate this way because of my convictions. Right. We have to be really, really convinced of that and be right. able to argue that well yeah but when a time comes when we do maybe cross a bounds where society says no right but we say this is what the bible says this is god's word this is god's way yeah even if that's not accepted we still have to operate this way because that's what the word says yeah it's good we have to be able to make that case well well this even totally not on our outline for discussion today but this is relevant for us because even yesterday we were in a in a text discussion and our our elders in our church on uh receiving funds from 
from the government? Is that an appropriate thing, right? Is, are we breaking some boundaries there? What's the nuance to that argument? And, and uh, a guy, Bart Barber, who I highly respect in Texas, uh, wrote a, a blog on why their church won't receive funds, right? And so what is the place of religious freedom and and, and what's the church's role in that? And how do we engage? And should we, shouldn't we? Well-nuanced arguments that we have to, we have to think through. And I, I think where we find ourselves historically right now is making us take a fine tooth comb and comb through our world and our thinking right now as to why we do what we do and what do we value. And that's not a bad thing. Well, Mitch, I, the thing I appreciate about that is the reason, the reason you guys are having to have those discussions is because you're so engaged in the public square. Hmm. Um, th these discussions aren't an issue. Right. If you're not in there, in the, right. you know, getting after it with folks who don't believe what you believe. And um, there is money available out there to do things. And if, you, if, um, if you're involved in that world, that's, those are the decisions you have to make. And I, I love that about our church. And I love that about what you guys are wrestling with. And, and so the, the more tangled up you get into this, yeah. this thing of, of trying to reach out to people with the message of the gospel, yeah. the, the more complicated it gets. Yeah, that's exactly right. All right, we, we're really going to run out of time. So I want to get to our last, the last item uh, here is particularly the question uh, was elections. And we have, we're in an election year coming up, right? And which is going to be exceptionally interesting with voting and can we go vote? How are we going to vote? Um, and the idea of selecting the lesser of two evils and isn't that still evil if you're selecting the lesser of two evils and third parties what about third parties is that a wasted vote how do christians engage in an election cycle and uphold biblical values so whichever one of you guys want to jump to the firing line first on that one rock and roll get after it justin all right <laughs> i got two two different thoughts yeah Thought one is to approach voting as um, thinking as an individual, my civic responsibility is one to vote mm. as a as a citizen of the United States. Two, it's to make the best choice possible uh, that aligns with what I believe and the choices that are available. So that would include third parties, write-ins, any of that kind of options. The other stream of thought that goes through my mind is is my civic responsibility based on what I believe to pursue the best for the country? And does that involve thinking through the results of the election as far as if I vote for a third party, is that a wasted vote? If I write in a candidate, it's almost as if I didn't vote. Um, and kind of thinking through those things about ultimately who is best of the options available to it that actually has a chance to win the election. That's almost approaching it from a negative of, who do I not want to win this election? So I'll maybe hold my nose and vote for the other person. And I think the only answer I can ever come to is a compromise of those two things. You kind of work toward the middle of filtering out anything you can to really get down to what choices are available mm. and trying to make the best choice possible. And at the same time, allowing for a freedom of conscience for people who can disagree with me. That's good. Keith? Yeah, so um, I, I guess, you know, when, when it comes to, you know, when we vote for the lesser of two evils, are we still voting for evil? I think the answer is, yeah. I mean, in some sense, yeah. But we don't, that's not, an, we don't have an option to choose the candidate who has no evil. You know, that, that's not there. 
Um, yeah. Even the best candidate that we could imagine has got skeletons in their closet and is going to make decisions that are that turn out to be for evil because we're human beings. I and mean, that's part of our biblical yeah. worldview that as a, as a Christian, we believe that human beings are fallen right. until we are with the Lord um, in the new heavens and the earth. That's new earth. That's what we're going to have to deal with. So there's not an option to deal with a non-evil option. Mm, that's good. So everybody that we choose. And, you know, as far as the third, the third party candidate, I, I personally, my conviction is, and again, it's, it's a matter of conscience for me, is that you have to look at the, I believe you look at the election and you, you have to decide what's reasonable. Like what is going to happen here? Right. If I, if I, you're at the top of this cliff and the mountain's falling off on all sides and there are boulders up there. Um, if I don't put my shoulder into this boulder, um, is it going to make that boulder? I know for a fact that if I don't push this boulder, that one's going off the hill. Right. I can't step back and not push either boulder and, and sort of recuse myself from the implications of the damage that they're going to do, so to speak. Yeah. I know that when I do this, this is going to result. Yeah. I can't deny that. And so what I have to do is I have to go, okay, which boulder is going to do the most good and the least harm? And so, um, otherwise I would, you know, I just write in Miss Jolly and, and go, there you go. Um, yeah. I'm on a wasted vote. That would be definitely. No, no, no. <laughs> if, if, if you're trying to, if, if any of us is trying to, to get the person that we believe is going to do the most good into the yeah. office, it's probably not a person, it's somebody we know personally. That's good. That's not running. So, um, anyway, I think when you think of it that way, you go, look, what are my, my political triage? What are the things that I feel like are most important that if we lose these three or four things, we're going to be in big trouble. Mm -hmm. um, I've got to get that person into office. Yeah. Um, because I, personally, I just think that's what the Lord's called us to do. Man, that's I good. The, I think the tricky thing is what if you've got two choices that both violate your, your top priorities. I, I think that's what a lot of people felt in 2016. I think that's what a lot of people are going to feel in 2020 is not just I have two options I don't really like or what's the lesser of two evils, but there's some things in both both parties that I really don't know that I can align with. And I think that's yeah. where it gets, it just gets tough. There's no easy answer. Yeah. I think it, it leaves me, I have, I have spent the majority of my Christian life confused about voting, just to be frank. I wish I had a systematic 10-point list that solved my problem. And I've, I have come to the conclusion the past few years is every election cycle, I find myself longing more for the kingdom of God to fully come when King Jesus will truly rule. And, 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 and these poor options are taken away. And I, I continue to find myself, my only home is the kingdom of God. And that mm. lack of fit there is on purpose to <laughs> cause me to look up. Mm -hmm. and long for the coming of the Lord. Yeah. yeah. Keith, I do want to hit something before we wrap up. You, you said uh, there's no such thing as a non-evil option. And, and uh, I had this thought this morning on a run. I was thinking about our current president and a lot of the critique at him being just how he speaks publicly. And some of that being simply because he says what he actually thinks, as opposed to other presidents in the past who have said the same stuff, but that they're smart enough to, I don't want to say smart enough. That's wrong. That's implying something I didn't mean to imply, but they, they just don't say it on camera mm -hmm. or tweet it. Right. 
but there's there's no such thing as past presidents who are just pure as the driven snow. Right. They're, they have yeah, problems. They're, they're not there. I mean, some of the some of the folks that we admire the most in in history. I mean, we're dealing with that now as a as a for us um, as a denomination trying to work through some of the people that we esteem the most. Right. We're so wrong yeah. on issues. That's yeah. right. Um, so it, it's just true. It doesn't as far back as you can go. You're dealing with human beings. Um, even inspired writers of the scripture. You know what? What Paul has written in the scriptures inspired by God. Paul was an yeah. apostle. He yeah. he interacted with Christ. But if we could get in the dirt with Paul, yeah, Paul's a human being. You know, that's right. And so um, yeah, man, it, it's just uh, it would be it would be awesome to get you could, could people sort of get these notions that that there's a candidate out there that we could all feel good about. Truth is that person's probably not there, and we're just going to have to do the best we can. That's yeah. good. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's conclude our time uh, trying to put a Romans 14 um, perspective on this, um, where Paul gives some instruction to the church at Rome, particularly in their issues of dealing with food and drink and bearing with one another and, and allowing for conscience. Um, Justin, what are, what are some thoughts that you could put a, uh, an, an ending to our discussion for Romans 14? What are some of those thoughts? I think uh, the gist of Romans 14 is where the Bible doesn't draw the line in the sand and say, this is wrong. We shouldn't either. Mm. And so we have to allow for uh, the convictions of others to play themselves out. Uh, I think the flip side of that is we have to make sure we're operating out of conviction mm. that is deeply formed and not just kind of flippant oh, this sounds good, this sounds good, but actually a deep, true conviction of, I believe this, this is why I can make a biblical argument for it, but I can't. Much like Bart's article that you referenced earlier, he makes a biblical case for why his church isn't going to pursue funding, and the other guy will make a case for, there's yeah. plenty of articles for why my church is going to pursue funding, and neither right or wrong, both trying to wrestle through what that means, and I think for us, that's how Romans 14 has to apply to our politics is, yeah, we do the best we can. We make a case, but at the end of the day, I have to allow the Holy Spirit to to guide you, just like you have to allow the Spirit to guide me. We're both trying to work that out. That's good, Keith. Yeah, I mean, I'll just um, sort of affirm what what Justin said. It it it's um it's very difficult when when you're looking at how to do life in the dirt and do theology in the dirt because so much is so much of what we believe in are, are convicted about isn't super clear in the scriptures. I mean, there are things, first order theological issues like the Trinity. The Bible doesn't say anywhere, you're not going to find the verse that clearly defines the Trinity, but we believe from Genesis to Revelation that the Bible talks about the Trinity in a way that, that we believe and Orthodox Christians have always believed. Um, but that's got to be deduced from scripture. It's got to be a biblical theological reading of it. So when we're dealing with some of these issues, um, we can't go to the one verse that that says this is what you're supposed to do. And I think one of the questions that we we dealt we got from listeners was about cherry picking verses. Right. Christians choose to cherry pick verses. Right. Well, if, if we if you do what what we're trying to condone is where you you understand the scriptures or have read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Right. There's no such thing as cherry picking the scripture. You can't understand a scripture. Right. 
separate from the rest of the, 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 the complete revelation that God has given us. So we work through these issues. We try to read the Bible as widely as we can. We get into conversations with elders. We get into conversations with one another. And then, um, and then we do everything we possibly can to move forward as believers, regardless of which denomination, unified. One of the things that's clear in the scriptures is that the body of Christ is supposed to be a unity. Yeah. We have the, one of the things that's going to cause the world to reject us is how we can't seem to get together on the things on how we're going to serve the world and serve the Lord. Yeah. We have got to find a way to be unified. And yeah. so that's going to require me serving alongside people who view things very differently from me. Right. Um, but we still love one another and we still love the Lord and we hold those first order things solid and the rest of it, man, we just, um, yeah. We give each other the ability to believe what they want to believe and go on. Yeah, that's good stuff, guys. I, I think uh, for me, a capstone is really the end of that chapter where Paul says, if you're going to do this, make sure it proceeds from faith because anything mm -hmm. that doesn't come from faith is sin. And so if, if there is a biblical, uh, biblically grounded, um, theologically strong biblical case for what a person thinks, then they're operating in faith. And if they can yeah. operate in faith, it is not sin. And if I can have that dialogue with that person and be convinced that they're grounded in the word, I'm grounded in the word and we disagree, we can still be in unity, still love each other, still attend church together and move forward in Jesus' mission mm -hmm. and, uh, and continue to have those nuanced conversations. Because if it, and if it doesn't proceed from faith, then it's, then it's sin. But if it's coming from faith, I can rest that this is okay in the Lord. Well, Mitchell, this is something that's super important to me. And, it, you know, it would be easy for me to get emotional about it because there are, there are people I know are believers that view certain things different from me. And, right. man, we can't, but because it's such a um, weighted issue, yeah. we can't even have conversations or I'm afraid to have conversations with people I love right. and care about. Uh, what I long for is for them to know my heart and go, look, we, we may not ever see eye right. to eye on this. Right. I mean, I love you and I, and this will never, it'll never get to the place where you can't trust me and, and so right. on and so forth. I mean, I long for that in the church. I long yeah. for it. And we've got to be yeah. willing to get ourselves out there inside the body of Christ, willing to have these conversations, knowing that at the end of the day, we may not agree, yeah. but man, just know my heart and trust me. Yeah. I think it grieves the spirit that we're not there. Yeah, I agree. That's good. That's good. Justin, any parting thoughts before we wrap up? I, I probably say this every time I talk, but I think life and community, that's where we are able to have these discussions and it's mm -hmm. where we're able to sharpen one another. So yeah. listening to you guys talk and having these conversations like this helps me refine what I think and why I think it. And I think just like Keith is saying, we need to be able to have those conversations without it wrecking our unity. And I, I think that that would go a long way uh, for the church to actually take a step forward and engage in the public square in a winsome way. Man, that's solid. Hey guys, appreciate your thoughts. A lot of fun. Love doing this and uh, enjoy doing it with you. And, and uh, we're going to continue to do it. So guys out there, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Y'all have a great day. See ya. Thanks for listening to Theology in the Dirt. You can email us at theologyinthedirt at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. 
Once again, thanks for listening. And until then, peace to you.